you guys get up on your feet. Let's find somebody and tell them hello.
people, <laughs> people who get up for church on New Year's Day. That's right. God loves you the best. Now that isn't theologically accurate, but you can take it from me. <laughs> well, I didn't realize until this weekend that the Rose, Bowl, Bowl, um, Rose Parade wasn't until tomorrow, so we still got one more day of holiday. And if you are going to work tomorrow, you got robbed, so... Okay. <laughs> well, you own your own business, so you're trying to keep your people there. Anyway, it's good to see you all. I hope you had a wonderful holiday. Welcome back to our home. And uh, man, I hope you're ready for a new year. 2017, isn't that crazy? Julia and I were talking the other day. Uh, we were born in 1966, and I remember when 2000 was like, whoa, you know, the space odyssey. That's way out there in the future, and now, oh, to go back. Oh, to go back. But uh, I saw somebody put on Facebook this week that Y2K warning from Best Buy. Make sure you... <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I brought that up, but that's fun. Hey, would you open your worship guide? There's a few things I want to highlight. Anyway, we'll start back to our normal schedule this week. We have church Wednesday night. Uh, adults, we're going to de-Christmas uh, Christmas this place, and then we're going to go ahead and have our Wednesday night Bible study. So if you're willing to help us for a few minutes, and then uh, we'll come in here and have a sharing time, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, speaking of Wednesday nights, um, it's a good time to jump back into Bible study if you're not. we got stuff going on for every age group on Wednesday nights. Uh, children, Alicia's group oversees that, Jeff's group, uh, we got our students, our junior high and high school, and then adults, we come in here and we actually do a Bible study, we're in the book of Acts right now, we've been in chapter 19 for about six months, it's great, but uh, we will um, uh, also on Wednesday nights periodically, we have missionaries come in and share, and uh, I'm going to be as vague as I can, but not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday night, and I'll explain why I'm being vague in a moment. Next Wednesday night, we are uh, going to have a new missionary family with us that we will be started supporting. Actually, this, at midnight last night, we started supporting them. They serve the Lord in, uh, in Asia, in a country where it's illegal to be a Christian, so we can't give much more information out about that. But we would love for you to meet them and uh, here. So they're gonna, that'll be a week from Wednesday night. If you are interested in, in the persecuted church, if you're interested in hearing what God's doing in places that you don't get to hear about because they can't write about it on the Internet, if you want to meet a new family that we're supporting, then this Wednesday night, is we're going to have a normal Wednesday night, and then next Wednesday night, I'll announce it again next week, but next Wednesday night, uh, we, you'll want to be here for that. Adults, that's 6.30 to 7.45. Children's ministry and student ministry is going on at the same time. But boy, is this a great time to jump in to these Bible studies. Uh, I also want to mention men every Tuesday morning from 6.30 to 7 or 7.10. 
Uh, we meet right out here for coffee, and, and we're in the Word. Daryl Douglas leads us in that. And uh, I, like I said, a good time to jump in. I also want to mention that on your seat uh, was something we've done the last few years. It's a, a reading through the New Testament in a year plan. Uh, it's uh, one chapter a day, fi uh, five days a week. And uh, you can get through the New Testament. And I encourage you, uh, I encourage you to read through the New Testament, uh, especially as couples. Just one chapter a day, spend some time praying together. Um, uh, and I, I just want to encourage you to do that. And, and let me warn you, don't study it, just read it. Just, just read it, take it in, listen to what Jesus says to people, how he talks. It starts in the Gospels. I think sometimes our, our need to figure everything out keeps us from just being in the Word. And uh, there are commentaries out there. I can refer to you s to some, but you've got to remember, a commentary is just like my preaching. It's somebody's idea on, on Scripture. But you have the Holy Spirit in you, and I encourage you to get into the Word again this year. And here's a great plan. And uh, some, I've talked to some people. It's like, I don't even know where to start. I mean, I haven't been in the Word for so long. Well, this is where you start. It's not complicated. So let me encourage you uh, to be invested in that as well. Um, uh, there isn't going to be a Bible study today after uh, church this morning. Uh, we're going to, like I said, we'll resume, resume Wednesday night with our normal scheduling. A um, uh, couple more announcements. Uh, one is don't forget out there uh, at, on the library wall is a, a white box, and in that box is our letters, and in those uh, letters are, are Christmas cards. And I want to encourage you, Carpenter's Way folks, to make sure you check those boxes. It's a mailbox, and there may be cards in there for you. Those will, that will come down on Wednesday night, and we want to make sure you get your Christmas cards. So check that following the service this morning. Uh, one final announcement that I want to make is a thank you, and I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time for our offering. Um, I, I sent a note out last, uh, this last week mentioning that we had been behind and that if you could help. And I want to thank you for helping because we ended the year in the black, and uh, that's because you gave. And you know that that is uh, something I don't like to talk about a lot because people are cynical enough to think that's why churches exist. It's not why we exist, but it is our responsibility and our privilege to participate in what God is doing. And uh, as I tell you just about every Sunday, the giving that you give goes towards our mission work. We are participating in the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention. That represents just under 9,000 missionaries internationally and in the states who are planning churches and discipling. And then I think now there's 15 missionaries or groups that we as a church support individually. Uh, and some of them are church planting groups like Amazon Outreach, uh, uh, Love and Care Ministries, orphanages in India, as well as Germany and ministry to people. And then uh, churches, they're planting churches, uh, Mosaic Center, Pregnancy Help Center. And then we have individuals like the one you're going to meet in a couple weeks. I really encourage you, even if Wednesday night is not a convenient night for you to come to a Bible study, would you put that date aside and plan on joining us? I think you'll learn a lot about what God is doing in the world. And, and, uh, and so I would encourage you to participate in that. But I want to thank you for your faithfulness. Um, uh, it, is, it is a wonderful thing uh, to not have to figure out where to cut. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it, it is a wonderful thing to be able to keep doing what we're doing. And that's because you give. I'll let you know in a secret. We, we, don't, we don't sell stuff. <laughs> we don't have one or two people who give our, our whole budget we have you, and uh, I, I just want to thank you for allowing me also to say that if this is not your church home, we ask that you not give. This is the one part of our, our programming and our service that really belongs to those of us who are committed to what God is doing here and our ministry. So each week I get the opportunity to tell folks who are visiting, please don't give. Uh, if you were here Christmas Eve, we had a mess of visitors. Uh, how cool is that to present the gospel to people? 
um, that, that otherwise wouldn't go to church. And you know that Christmas and Easter are, are times of the year. I know, I touched it. I'm aware. That's one. I have a group of people that count every time I touch my microphone. 38 two weeks ago. Um, but uh, I'm going to tie my hand behind my back. But uh, I, I'll tell you what, God is, God is using you, even in your worship. He's using you in your fellowship. He's using you in this community. He's using you. And uh, I want to tell you what a privilege it is to be a part with you in this. And especially those of you faithful enough to come out on January 1st. The rest of them are in trouble spiritually. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's all the announcements I have for this morning. Uh, Alicia, is there anything that needs to be said today? All right. No, she's just looking forward to lunch in about an hour. So I, I'm kidding. All right. Let's close. Let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for a new year and a new opportunity to walk with you. Um, Lord, Satan's, one of Satan's most effective tools is guilt and shame and defeat. To making us think we've come too far, we've done too much, we've failed too many times to actually get back on track. And I thank you that that is so theologically incorrect that we stand pure and holy before you today because of what you did on the cross. That we are pure and holy, no matter our faithfulness or unfaithfulness that you have declared us your child, you have promised as a guarantee that the Holy Spirit is our, is our guarantee of our internal inheritance. Thank you that our position with you is secure. Now, Father, we have been given a series of choices to make, and those surround how, uh, how we'll choose to use that or live for you in this world. And it seems like so much of our theology uh, actually tools Satan, uh, guilt and shame. And I want us to be free of those things. I want us to serve you because we love you because we're overwhelmed at the mercy you have shown and the grace you have shown. It is my prayer, Father, that we as a local church, Carpenter's Way Church, would be so in love with Jesus Christ, they can't imagine not walking faithfully with him. Father, may this be the year that we absolutely, absolutely surrender every part of our lives to you. I thank you for mercy and grace. I thank you for forgiveness. I thank you that we stand, your kids this morning who are here, and those that are watching on the internet, those who have accepted your offer to forgive their sin, I thank you that right now we are right with you because of Jesus' work. Now, Father, take our will and use it for your glory. So we, we praise you, we thank you, we thank you for how you provided for us through your people, you allow us to serve you, and now, God, as we turn our face back towards you and our eyes on you and our heart totally to hear what you have to say, I pray you would teach us this morning. You would encourage us this morning and you would spur us on to a year of love and good deeds for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory.
Okay, you can clap. It's okay. I want us to, uh, to not be too cheesy. Uh, just take a second. You know, it's the first day of the year, and um, it's been a, for us, it's been a great year. Uh, for you, maybe not. I don't know where you're at, but uh, I want us to take just a minute just to kind of reflect. Just kind of reflect on what God's brought you through. Um, maybe it's sickness, maybe it's pain, you know, whatever. Um, just kind of take a minute and just reflect about His grace, His mercy, where you were at this time last year and how much He's brought you through and how much He's revealed Himself to you and how much He's done in your life and your family's life and, and just where you're at and, and where you're going, what He's doing at Carpenter's Way. So, um, like I said, do not be too cheesy. If you'll just take a minute, just there in your seat, nothing big, just kind of take a minute and just kind of reflect on kind of what He's done for you. So we pour out our praise 
That's a pretty good way to start the year, isn't it? Uh, it is a privilege, and I know you've heard this before, but I'm, I'm going to share a little from my heart. Um, it is an incredible privilege to be an overseer of a flock, uh, God's flock. Um, the actual term is under-shepherd because there's only one shepherd of God's flock, and that's the good shepherd. But for some of us, God has tasked... Uh, with us the responsibility of overseeing, feeding, leading, and caring for the, for the flock. And for those of you who haven't studied Paul's letters to young Timothy before, and we'll get back to that next week. That's where we are in our study of it's personal, not business. But the imagery of an elder or pastor being a shepherd isn't just found there. I mean, Paul takes it to a totally different level. But it's, it's actually throughout the scriptures, the idea of shepherding. Uh, it is often overwhelming. It's wonderful. It's intimidating, it's rewarding, it's scary. It is ultimately, as a pastor, a great adventure. And honestly, for a guy whose worst fear is being misunderstood, and that is my worst fear, uh, or misrepresented, the role can be downright scary. But the truth is I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing. Uh, there are times of the year when, whether it's money issues or seasons of church conflict, which happens in every church, um, I was sharing with a pastor in our community or, or minister in our community who's struggling because their church is really going through some difficult times that I think it's just part of the life of the church, just like sickness is part of a family. You know, it's, uh, we, we always, none of us want to go through church splits, none of us want to go through church difficulties, is, but you can't, you can't uh, keep from having that happen. It's actually uh, sometimes healthy. God has to take some people out and put them somewhere else to take what they've learned and use it there. And then sometimes he prunes the tree. And, and you know, I, I don't think we should look forward to church difficulty. But on the other hand, it's often how God does his thing here and elsewhere. Uh, I think, for instance, uh, I believe that there's like 17 churches that have been implanted out of First Baptist in Lubkin. And about half of them were the result of what would be called church splits. That's an incredible thing God has done. First Baptist still exists. Those churches, most of them still exist, and God is using them. A Carpenter's Way is one of those. And as the good shepherd, God, he gets to decide when that happens and how it happens. And yes, it sometimes involves our sin. Uh, it was the sin of the world that killed our Savior. But God does his thing. And, uh, and, and um, it is a privilege to 
in reality, in, in the way the church has manifested herself through time, to answer for God, because that's what I do. People ask a lot of questions. What do you think of this? Or how do you deal with political things? Or how do you, and, and so I a answer for God, and I always say, how much am I charging you to be in here? And people say nothing. I said, well, this is worthless information, but I will answer your question. That was funny. You remember to laugh at my jokes in 2017. It hurts my feelings. Um, but, but every once in a while, it gets overwhelming. And uh, during those times, I try to simplify. I try to go back and go, okay, what, what is it, God, that you have asked me to do? And when I simplify, uh, I think of a picture like this one. Um, that is a shepherd. It, that, that little dot on the hill, that stick, is a man or a woman, a shepherdess. I don't know which. <laughs> but that is his flock. And what he is doing is he is overseeing uh, the safety of his flock. He's taking them to pastures where uh, uh, he's against a rock. He's at a high place. He's able to look, and he's, he's looking. We don't know what's beyond those hills, but they're probably somewhat uh, hemmed in, and he's watching, and you know what he's watching for? He's watching for predators. He's watching for uh, sheep that may be wandering off. But you know what he's not doing is he's not stopping the sheep from eating, meandering, and even biting each other. What he, his job is to make sure that the flock is allowed to live in, a, in relative safety so that they can grow and be nurtured and, and get healthy, so they can be sheared and in some cases eaten, especially in this part of the world. But, but the truth is that's what a shepherd does. Um, that is how I see ministry. That's how I see my job. Sometimes leading, sometimes following the flock, but always watching, listening, taking in what the Lord is doing in our lives, and always looking around for outside predators to see where Satan may be doing his best work. And I want to, uh, this is number two, I touched it. Uh, I want to warn you, I'm going to count them all this morning, because I think their numbers are off. But I, I want to I tell you something that you already know but need to be thrown out to you. You have an enemy. If you are the child of God, you have an enemy. Not that he cares anything about you. Let me be clear. He doesn't, he doesn't care about you. Lucifer is not going, how can I mess up with uh, Van Watson today? That's not what he's doing. He doesn't care about Van Watson. What he cares is about Van Watson's daddy. And since he can't take God on directly, he's trying, to, he's trying to shame God by messing up his kids. That's what he does. And he's good. Not that he's really, really good. He's just had 7,000 years of experience in deceiving God's people. And if we've talked about this before. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2 and 3, you find out that his technique hasn't really changed. He just knows a lot about you. Uh, let, let me be clear, uh, and uh, we can wrestle with this at a different time. But Satan, you probably, I, I, probably none of you have ever even been in Satan or Lucifer, the devil's sphere of influence. I, I shouldn't say it, not sphere of influence, but his presence. You, he's never been around you. He doesn't care that much about you. He is an angel. He's not equal to God. He's not omnipresent. He's in one location, but underneath him, he has an organization of legions, of demons uh, who are working the world, and those you have all around you. It is reasonable to believe from Scripture that you probably have, if you, uh, you probably have demonic uh, demonics that are around you that know everything about you because as you grew up they watched they are timeless in life 
once they were created in the past, but their life doesn't end in 80 or 90 or 100 years like ours does. It goes on, and they've been watching you so they know every struggle you've had. They know every time you've given into temptation. They know what kind of temptations that you give into, probably better than you because they're watching. And they report back to those they report to, who reports back to those they report to, and ultimately they report back to Lucifer, who doesn't care about you. I want to keep saying that. He doesn't care about you, but he is trying to destroy God through you. Number three, he is trying to destroy God's reputation, and he's trying to hurt you by default so that he can shame the Father. Does that make logical sense? This is a war that we're in, and there's a strategy that's actually played out. And we don't like to talk about it a much, but it is there, and you need to be aware of that. And it, it, it's, it's my job, part of my job as a, as a pastor, as a shepherd, an under-shepherd of God's flock, and now you understand what I mean by that. I'm under God's shepherding, but under His authority, I am tasked through Scripture to make sure that we're aware of all that's going around, around, and like the shepherd in that picture, it's my job to warn you where I think he's doing his best predatory work. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. I want to share with you this morning something God has laid on my heart, and, uh, uh, and, and I'm, I'm actually pretty excited to share it with you. To do this, I'd like to take you, I'd like to ask you to join me in Acts 2. It'll be on the screen if you didn't bring a Bible, but if you did, turn to Acts 2. It, this is such an amazing passage to watch, the immediate transformation of lives of believers simply because the Holy Spirit came upon them. Uh, the Holy Spirit affects our lives powerfully just like he did there. And in fact, the Holy Spirit coming upon these people in Acts 2 was so powerful, so radical, so visual, that those who were observing them were forced to come to some sort of conclusion. Either this is God, or this is, well, you'll see in a second. But the impact that the Holy Spirit had, had on them was so visual and so powerful that they had to come to a conclusion. Let me give you the context. About a month before this, Jesus has ascended into heaven. The apostles and followers of Jesus, probably a couple hundred in number, have gathered in Jerusalem where they're hanging out in the upper room. They're worshiping together. Uh, Peter, it tells us, and some of the disciples have gone back to fishing. They're waiting for Jesus to come back. For those of you who do not believe in an imminent return of Jesus Christ, the disciples absolutely believed in that because when Jesus ascended into heaven, they stayed there and looked up, right? They actually looked up into heaven so much, for so long that God sent an angel down to say, what are you doing? We're waiting for the Lord to return. Go to Jerusalem just like he told you to go and wait for him. They were waiting for Jesus' return or, or the coming of this one that God said, Jesus said he would send that would help them, that would guide them, that would direct them. So we find ourselves in Acts chapter 2 in verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. I, I want to point out again that there was a sound like a roaring mighty windstorm. There was not a windstorm. Okay? We miss that too often when we study this text. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. They weren't tongues of fire. They looked like tongues of fire. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by these believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, uh, Parthians, Medes, uh, Elamites, and people from Mesopotamia, Judea, uh, Cappadocia, Pontus in the province of Asia. Uh, Phrygia, 
Pamphylia, Egypt, and other areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and all we hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. Now we read that text, and I know where your mind goes, because our culture, and this is one of the predatory tools of the devil, immediately goes to, oh great, here we go, now we're going to talk about Pentecostalism, or we're going to talk about tongues, or we're going to talk about little tongues of fire on our heads. Um, I don't want you to be robbed of the amazing scene and its impact simply by the ridiculous debate we have today about speaking in different languages or tongues from this passage. We will have plenty of time to debate that unless the Lord returns soon, which is a good enough reason for him to return. Because I tell you what, when we start debating tongues, we are so off message. The message of the church is Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That's what it is. And it is so easy to get off message. This is not about a weird language thing going on here, folks. And that is one of the tools that Satan uses us to get off point. This was about a group of spiritual ragtag misfits. Remember that the story begins with, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. They were doing what you're doing this morning. They were gathering to sing and have communion and remember what Jesus has done. And when it was over, from everything we read before Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 1, probably Peter would have said, well, we've got to get back to fishing. Go on with your own life. But they're meeting in this upper room when this thing takes place. And they're blown away. The, uh, this group of people that is meeting in the upper room have been disenfranchised because their religious, religious leader has been crucified. And although there were rumors, lots of them, that he had actually been resurrected, they had finally quieted down when this happened. This is about five or six weeks after the ascension into heaven. Up to this moment, these people looked as merely, like a, merely a sect of Judaism or a dying cult. And now all of a sudden something freakish happens and all these ragamuffins start celebrating uncontrollably, speaking in these languages. When they hear, uh, they come running with the sound of the wind and they hear these people speaking in their own language, which freaks out the crowd. Verse 12 and 13 says, They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd began ridiculing them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. I, I just, side note, free, this is free. When you are under the control of the Holy Spirit, and I don't mean by tongues, but when you are genuinely transformed and you love people like Jesus loved people, everybody has to figure out what has freaked you out. The world doesn't get that. I want to say that even the church doesn't get that. That's like number nine, I'm on number nine right now. The church doesn't get that. They're not used to seeing it. We've come to a time, actually, I don't think it's new. This was Judaism. These were the people that were supposed to be looking for the Messiah. And when the Messiah comes, they reject him. And when he ascends, they reject him. And when Je the prophecy of Joel is fulfilled in, in, in Acts chapter 2 and on the day of Pentecost, and this happens, which was specifically prophesied 500 years beforehand, when it happens, they still reject him. Why? Because they didn't want him. They wanted the religion of Judaism. One of Satan's most effective tools is to get us to buy into Christianity without Christ. And the thing that happens is, in the church, we keep giving people uh, Jesus, but he's with a small j. We give him the cross. We talk about uh, Easter. But we don't give them Jesus, the transformer, the Holy Spirit who comes and changes us. 
In a miracle as large as the wind and tongues and roaring things like took place here, the real miracle is what happens next. Verse 14, then Peter stepped forward. Don't forget who this guy was. Peter steps forward. With the 11 other apostles, he steps forward and shouted at the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people aren't drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for us to get drunk. Okay. Go back, Annie, to verse 15. I changed it a little bit, but that's actually what he's saying. These people aren't drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. He doesn't say these people are incapable of getting drunk. He says it's too early for them to be drunk. So what you're experiencing here is not their drunkenness. No. What you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's a great verse. I want to make it clear that the reason the tongues thing took place, the language thing, was not to save people but to draw a crowd. The reason the wind came through the place was not so that people could go, I want to feel that wind, but so that people could go, some noise is coming out of a building that shouldn't be coming out of, maybe the building's going to fall. History tells us that at this period of time, this was the celebration of the Feast of Pentecost, and faithful Jews, that's who's in the crowd, came to Jerusalem, and a town that was usually about the size of Tyler had probably swelled to over a million people. People from all over the globe who were taking a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate this wonderful, celebrant festival. And they're there, and they don't even recognize the prophecy. And God takes a guy named Peter, and he allows him to proclaim the truth. Those things that God did, those supernatural events, were not the event. They were the drawing card. At noon today, some of you are going to watch the Dallas Cowboys play football again. Aramaic for so be it. Okay, good. We're, we're going to go there, and, and you're going to watch the football game, and it's, it's going to be fun. But can you imagine if after the game today, after Tony Romo plays, I understand he's going to play today. I know some of you are going, what time are we getting out of here? When he plays, if he wins, can you imagine if Jerry Jones all of a sudden decides, we're, stunned, we're done for the year. We have decided that since we won so much, we're not going to play anymore. Everybody would stop talking. It'd be like, I want to make it clear. There are two seasons to sports. There's the regular season, who gives you the right to be in the real game. You see, for a team like Dallas, who can't seem to make it past one game in the playoffs, it's time to make it all the way. It's time to go to Houston. Quit amening that. Amen the good stuff, Pam. That is, that is, that's the, she said that is the good stuff. Amen. <laughs> but, uh, 
I want you to understand that the point of playing the regular season is to get into the playoffs. And the point of speaking in tongues and the point of the sound of the wind and the point of the tongues of fire on their head was not so that there would be tongues of fire and wind and speaking in different languages. That was the regular season. Now we're in the playoffs. There was a point. It is the gospel message that saves people, not the speaking in tongues. And I want to point out that it wasn't the purpose of God so the Christians can go, I just spoke in tongues. Let's do that again. The purpose of this event, I'll read it. Verse 22, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by giving powerful miracles, wonders, signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his pre-arranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep, its, uh, keep him in its grip. King David said this about him, I see with the Lord all, uh, that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on the throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses for this. Now, I want to pause. Verse 33, I'll go there in a second, but I want to pause. I want you to understand what, what Peter's doing here. Peter wants a crowd of people who have come to Jerusalem to celebrate Judaism through the Feast of, of, of Pentecost, he is telling them, those people who always go back to David and Moses as their favorite king and patriarch, that's who they believed in. You see, people always go to people. What, David, what, 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 what Peter is saying here is, it ain't about David. David wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about the coming Messiah. And this is the predatory danger of Lucifer. Lucifer wants us to think that Acts chapter 2 is about speaking in tongues. Lucifer wants us to think it's about the show. Lucifer wants us to think that you've got to be better or that you've got to be talented. And I'm telling you here, it was never even about you. It's about the one who saved you. The danger of the church is we keep, well, I'll get there in a second. But it's the same risk of here. The risk here is that these people had thought that it was about Moses and David and the laws and all of that stuff. And Peter's standing before them going, it ain't about David. David wasn't prophesying about himself. And the crowd's going, what? Well, yeah, we know there's more, but David is our friend. David's the dude. And Peter's saying, it ain't about him. Verse 33, now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven, talking about Jesus, the one David was referring to. He is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out on us. Just as you see and hear today. For David himself uh, never ascended into heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit on the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and and Messiah. Don't forget who Peter was. Don't forget who this guy is who's preaching this. This is a powerful message. This is a bold message. This is a fearless message. This was the guy, though, who rebuked Christ on several occasions in a three-year period of following him. 
This was the dude who refused to let Jesus wash his feet for pride reasons. This was the guy who kept falling asleep in the garden when his best friend asked him to pray with him or for him. This was the guy who pulled a sword intending to cut off the high priest's servant ear and, or head and misses and cuts his ear off. This is the guy who denied Christ publicly three times and used profanity and blaspheming language in order to validate the fact and prove that he wasn't a follower of the guy they were about to kill. Because I'm here to tell you this morning that it was not Peter that God used effectively here this day. It was the Holy Spirit who had come and controlled Peter. You see, somewhere in the church back then, in Judaism, they forgot that it's not the law that you worship, it's the giver of the law. That not only did he give them the law, but he would write later on multiple occasions, rip your hearts and not your garments. To obey is better than sacrifice. Come to me. On multiple occasions, when asked, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus would say, with man you can't be saved. There's nothing you can do. Believe on me. The one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I'm the one. And yet the Jews continued down the path of believing that it was their religiosity, their effectiveness, the show, that would actually glorify God. And Peter, who just two months ahead of time was scared to death of dying, so he denied God and his relationship with his son, is now standing before them fully aware that he could be killed by this crowd, just like his Lord was. Verse 37, Peter's words pierced their hearts. Folks, this is the Holy Spirit-empowered Peter. The Peter in the Gospels is just Peter. That's what Peter looked like. That's the dude, just like you and me. That's Peter. This is this Peter under the Holy Spirit's power. And for those who want to obsess over the language thing in this text or tongues, they are missing the big picture. No one got saved because people were speaking in tongues or there was the sound of wind or there was fire on their heads. That just drew a crowd. It was the miracle of taking control of this loser believer, this unfaithful follower of God. It was that that pierced the hearts of the people. And they said to him and to, each other, and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away. Who's he talking about far away? Is that those who are 10 miles from the city? It's us. Everyone. All who have been called by the Lord our God. Verse 40. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. 3,000 in all. Don't be fooled. That didn't happen because Peter's a great preacher. You see, that's the modern church. For those of us who aren't Pentecostal, you're probably going, yeah, it wasn't the tongues, that's right. It wasn't the sound of the wind, it wasn't the fire. Boy, I tell you what, that Peter was such a great preacher, and I'm here to tell you he wasn't a great preacher. 
In fact, I'm going to tell you that Paul wasn't a great preacher. Read 1 Corinthians. He says, when I came to you, I came trembling and humble. And then he has to answer questions about the flashy ministry down the street. Remember that? He says, I'm not going to worry about them, whether in preaching or in truth, at least the gospel's getting out. But I'm coming to you because I want the Holy Spirit to change you. You see, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of misbelief. It, it wasn't the preaching here. It wasn't the wind. It wasn't the tongues. It was the power of God. In John chapter 16, verses 7 and 8, Jesus said this. It is best for you, talking to the disciples, that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. It was the Holy Spirit that led those people to Jesus this day. What you see here is not gifted men convincing people to repent through courageous uh, uh, or creative programming. What you see here is the third person of the Trinity equal to the Father and the Son doing his thing. Not just in the tongues moment, which people always go to, but we're talking about convicting men of sin. We're talking about using a fallen guy that those people in the crowd probably knew everything about. Isn't he the guy who denied even knowing him? Sound familiar? The Holy Spirit empowered him. And that day, the Holy Spirit convicted the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. And 3,000 were saved. But it wasn't merely the unsaved who were moved and changed. Look at the Holy Spirit's effect on those who were already followers of Christ. Verse 42, all the believers then devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many mirac miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord had added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Look what the Holy Spirit did in a matter of minutes in this story. People were saved. The believers became yoked together in joy and ministry. They loved to hear about God and they gathered regularly and learned about Him. They committed themselves to the fellowship and worshiping, spending time in prayer and remembering the Lord's death and resurrection through communion. They were in awe of God's work in their midst and they gave sacrificially to each other as they had needs. It is this fact that the predator does not want you to understand. It is this fact. It is the fact that God used screwed up people by empowering them with himself that impacts the world. And here's the thing. The same Holy Spirit that sent the sound of the wind that day, that caused the tongues, the same Holy Spirit that empowered Peter to speak unbelievably bold is within you. They had nothing you don't have. I'm going to take one shot at Pentecostal theology. Periodically, I meet people in the community who go to different church sections. I meet them all the time. And periodically, they'll say, oh, you're the pastor of Carpenter's Way. You don't mind if I ask you a personal question, do you? No, I don't mind if you ask. Are you spirit-filled? Yes. So you're a Baptist that speaks in tongues. Oh, no, no, you didn't ask that. That's a different question. 
You see, the word filled in the New Testament, which is our exhortation by Paul, be filled with the Spirit, has nothing to do with tongues. It means controlled. It means surrendering control of your life to the Holy Spirit. If you're asking me if I'm under the control of the Holy Spirit, to the best of my ability today, right now, in this moment, I am. But maybe five minutes ago I wasn't, and ten minutes from now I won't be. Oh, no, no, I mean, do you believe in the gifts of the Spirit? Well, the answer to that question is yes. Oh, so you believe in tongues. I believe in anything God wants to do at any time with anybody he wants. But I want you to understand that Satan has divided his church by getting us to believe that the only way you know you're under the power of the Holy Spirit is if you speak in tongues. Or if there's tongues of fire on your head. Or if there's the sound of the wind. And I'm here to tell you that he is working in your life even if you are a tired mom of a two-year-old. <laughs> I want you to know that if you're struggling with anxiety, the Holy Spirit can still work through you and will. I want you to know that if your spouse left you and in 2017 you may lose your spouse or whatever you're going through, that even in the sadness of your flesh, there can still be joy in your spirit. And I don't mean happy joy, happy, happy joy, joy, not that. We're talking about God using us. I want to remind you that Peter didn't know what to do when he got to Jerusalem, so he gathered the guys together to go fishing. Well, why is that a big deal? Because he didn't know what else to do. He wasn't geared to wait. He was geared to fish. And God told him not to fish, not fish for fish. He told him not to fish for men. Go wait, I'm going to send you a helper. All right, man. So it says they gathered together, read it, Acts chapter 1, and they were talking about all that Jesus had done and his ascension into heaven. And then there's this weird pause in the text, and he says, well, let's go fishing. It sounds like any given Bible study. After three hours of talking about the Bible, you kind of go, what do you want to do today? I don't know. Let's go fishing. Let's go shoot something. Because these were real people, like you. And I want to make it clear that Satan has used people like me to convince people like you that you don't have any game. So let me be clear. You don't have any game. And neither do I. And neither does Peter. So how about we get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit do what he wants? Walk with him. I know... One more warning so you don't think I'm whacked. 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. You should know this, young Timothy, pastor, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. And that's just in the Baptist church. <laughs> just kidding. Here's the verse. Those were examples of this summary statement. They will act religious. Look. What's the next line? But they will reject the what? The power that could make them godly. Stay away from people. They'll kill you, Peter. It is possible for us to do church in a very effective and powerful way and not be reaching anybody for Jesus. And as your under-shepherd, I am scared to death that not just Carpenter's Way, but we are all in danger, if we don't keep focused on Jesus, of being that group of people. This week, um, uh, I, yeah. I'm not going to go there. 
even if we get everybody to be moral in the United States of America, we have done very little work for the kingdom. We might have made our country better, but we have not done kingdom work. Our job is to tell the most immoral person we live near, or that we come in contact with, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That's it. There's so much noise out there. What do we do with gays? What do we do with whatever? Fill in the gap. What do we do with blah, blah, blah? You just tell them that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Well, it's not enough. Then let them walk away. There's no more to the story, my friends. By, by proving creation is seven 24-hour days doesn't get people saved. It just wins you an argument. To debating the issue of tongues with other believers, it's a waste of breath. It's the Holy Spirit that transforms. Well, how do I know if he's present? Are you there? Last time I checked, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's a dumb question. And it's only asked because we don't really understand that that is a true statement. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And everywhere you go, God goes with you. He's using you. Well, pastor, you don't know what I've done. I've been married five times. Peter denied Christ publicly three Quit making excuses and surrender. But pastor, I'm in the middle of an adulterous relationship. Then break it off and give your life to Christ. Don't get saved. Read to, just surrender. I'm not a nice person. No, you're not. Neither was Paul. Give it to God. It's 2017. I, I know it's just a calendar change. And I know some of us are cynical about year of end stuff. But can I just plead with you. I, I'm going to plead with you on something. There are men, and I'm going to use men in general, but generally mostly men feel this. Women are better, are better at intimate relationships. Would you agree with that? <laughs> Football and that, Pam agrees with me. On. <laughs> men, we, we, don't, we don't know, we don't do intimacy well, most of us. We don't know how to do that. And so for us, we, we look at our life and we, we see intimacy with God, something our wife needs to do, and our kids. And we look at our wives or our spouses if we're married, and you kind of go, yeah, I, she's such a good person. How do I know this? Because I felt this at times, even as a pastor. My wife is a good woman. She loves the Lord. She's been faithful. She's not sinned the way I've sinned. You know, I, I just wish, I, I just never be. That is, that is predatory lie. Your relationship with God never was and never will be based upon your moral compass. It will be based upon your availability to the king. Your surrender. And men, what East Texas needs is for men to actually walk with God and not depend on the women and children of this community. Walk with God. But you don't know what I've done. I don't know the Bible. My wife knows the Bible. Well, you know what? She may know guns better than you, but if you want to outdo her, you're going to have to get into the Word. Learn, grow, don't leave it there. Walk with God. You may never know as much as, as me theologically. I went to school for... 19 years for a five-year degree. But it doesn't, just kidding. I, I mean, I've been doing this for 30 years. You're not supposed to know what I know. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not putting myself on a pedestal, but you realize this has been my occupation for 33 years. How do you, a question I get, how do you learn all this stuff? What book do you learn? I've been teaching it for 33 years. I don't learn this stuff from a book. I learn it from the book. 
Well, how do I catch up? You won't. You'll die still growing. I'm still growing. Man, if I had to defend some of the things I said to you 12 years ago when I came, I couldn't do it. I'm learning. And I try to admit when I make mistakes. Or you're thinking wrong. Either way. I try, I, I try to, I try. we're growing. This is a relationship. It's real. It's genuine. And men, quit making excuses and walk with God. You don't have to walk with God like Mark Wilkie or your wife. You walk with God in the personality and way he gave you. If that is you fishing, oh boy, with a can of something on the side, <laughs> talking with God, opening his word in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a deer lease, when your family's in bed, turn off TV, spend time with them in your truck, because everybody's got a truck with a gun. <laughs> Talk to him, and you can even start if you're there. He gets that. Give your day to him. You don't have to be like your wife. You don't have to be like your pastor. You don't have to be like your youth pastor was. You don't have to be like Chad or Jeff or Alicia. You be you with God. You don't have to understand the nuances of predestination and election. You should not be in that debate. I'm glad to have that conversation, but at the end of the conversation, I'm going to go, now what did we accomplish? Because God's going to do it the way God's going to do it. Jesus Christ is the answer. And if he could take a bozo like Peter and use him to reach 3,000 plus people in one day, he can use you who is less bozo-like. Let me say something very fleshy. I doubt that there's many people in this room who have sinned like Peter. I know we're not supposed to judge sins, but this guy, look, it's become an Easter pageant silliness. I do not know that one you are arresting. It ain't like that. And if I could act it out, I would be unemployed tomorrow morning. But the fact is, that's the Peter that preached. Two months. Well, this was better, Peter. You know, this was two months later. The only reason he's better is not a thing on the calendar, but because the Holy Spirit had transformed him, the same Holy Spirit that wants to transform you. So this is your year. This is your opportunity. This is your chance. Don't wait. Give yourself. Chad, why don't you come on up? So it's communion. You know what communion is. It's what God gave us through P Paul. It's a piece of the Seder service, but for us in the New Testament, it's to remind us of what Jesus did. And he did two things. He became Emmanuel, the flesh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was broken for our sin. His body was broken. He was willing to go to the cross for us. And he shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sin. This is the whole theology. This is all that matters. He came. He died. He rose again. He offers salvation to anyone who will call on his name realizing they're a sinner. He ascended into heaven and he's coming back for us. It's all that matters. And if you accept that, then you are his child. You may be a bad child, you may be a good child, but you're his child. Now, walk in the family way. And I, I'm unfairly talking to men this morning because it seems like it's most of us who have given up. Don't give up. Don't become what the church thinks you should or your wife 
Become what God can make you into however he wants. And I encourage you this morning, as we wrap up, Chad's going to play, and this is the end of our service, so enjoy the football game. Enjoy January 2nd tomorrow off. But I encourage you, if you're a family here this morning, men, even if you are not spiritually leading your family, it's time to start. Would you take a moment and pray with your family? And then bring your family up. If you're God's kid, if you're not, then don't. Bring your family up and break bread with them. It's okay to admit to your children, I haven't been under the control of God like I should. Today it starts. Not going to be perfect. Just going to be used. If you're a single mom, if your kids are in here, bring them. Break bread with them. Dip it in the cup. Let them take if they're Christians. If they've accepted Christ, let them take with you. Break a piece off, dip it in and give it to them. Pray with them. Pray with them. Commit this year to the Lord. Whatever it entails. Life or death. Good or bad. Give it to God. Talk to the same Holy Spirit that came in Acts chapter 2. And tell him to do with you what he did with Peter. And leave it at that. Be Isaiah. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. Here am I, send me. Who will go? I'll go. Whatever that means. Give yourself to God. If you're sitting here alone, or you're with somebody else at Carpenter's Way, come up together, pray for each other. This is a family thing. So I'm going to close this in prayer. And when you're ready, you can come up. There's three tables. And partake with your family. And then go home and go live. Go live. Do justly. Love mercy. And humbly walk with God. Lord Jesus, forgive us for thinking more of ourselves than we should. Forgive us for forgetting or not really believing that it's the Holy Spirit that changes lives. I pray for 2017 at Carpenter's Way that it would be the year of prayer. That this would be the year that we believe in the power of God in people's lives. And so we are twi twice as prayerful as we are verbal. I pray for the men and women and children in this congregation. That your Holy Spirit would take our young bodies or our old bodies and use them to glorify yourself. For it isn't in our talents or our spiritual gifts or tongues or the sound of the wind that people are transformed. They may be attracted to you that way, but they are only convicted of sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. So use us. In Jesus' name we pray.